This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we empower hypermobile dancers and athletes through education and community. This is Dr. Linda Bluestein here with co-host Jennifer Milner. We can't wait to chat with our guest, but first would like to remind you about how you can help us help you. First, subscribe to the Bendy Bodies podcast and leave us a review. This is helpful for raising awareness about hypermobility and associated disorders. Second, share the Bendy Bodies podcast with your friends, family, and providers. We really appreciate you helping us grow our audience in order to make a meaningful difference. This podcast is for you. Today, we are so fortunate to be chatting once again with registered dietitian, nutritionist, and dancer, Kristen Koskinen. Kristen pursued a career in dietetics to find the answers to her questions about nutrition and its impact on health and performance. She owns a private practice where she offers virtual nutrition counseling with a focus on performance nutrition. She incorporates the functional aspects of food in her approach to help artistic athletes of all levels, including those who've retired from dance. Her integrative approach recognizes that nutrition isn't just about the food you eat. It's important to take many factors into consideration, including individual biochemistry, environment, cultural influences, social norms, and body image, especially when working with dancers. Kristen is a founding member of Dance Medica and is regularly invited to speak on topics related to dancer health and is a frequent contributor to media, including Dance Magazine, Shape, Oprah, Healthline, NBC, and Today.com. Kristen spoke with us earlier in the year on the topic of supporting a dancer's health through nutrition, so be sure to check out her first discussion with us. As well, Kristen is a founding member of Bendy Bodies and contributes so much to our work with artists on the hypermobility spectrum. Hi, Kristen, and welcome back to Bendy Bodies. Hello, thank you for having me. Yay. It's great to see you, Jen. Good to see you as always. All right. Well, Kristen, we asked to chat with you in January because it's the time of year that we think of as kind of a holiday hangover. Lots of people feel run down and less than healthy because they've been enjoying holiday foods and surrounded by sweets. After indulging for a few weeks, people feel that emotional pendulum swing towards guilt and start making lots of unsustainable decisions on how to fuel themselves. Do you see that in your practice? I do tend to see a little bit of a blip in January um, because it's when people have, it's a fresh start and we all like fresh starts, whether it's New Year's or birthdays or the beginning of a school year. And so for chronic dieters, this is part of their cycle and coming to the new year might be when they'd want to see me. Um, that's for a population of the it's really looking to lose weight and not necessarily trying to address other health concerns, um, which health and weight are not always the same thing. So if someone's coming to lose weight, they might look at January. And usually it's not even at the beginning of January. I tend to see those numbers closer to the end of January, maybe the third or fourth week when people have decided to do um go back to what's worked for them in the past, whether it's any sort of diet program, restricting, hitting the gym, beating themselves up, and they realize it's just not working or they're not going to be able to keep it up any longer. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's something very specific about this time of year. I know we like to have those parameters like spring is this and fall makes us feel that and January makes us feel like you said that sense of a fresh start, but we're also coming off of a really emotionally fraught time of the holidays um, where we, I think more than any other time of the year, associate some really intense emotions with food. So we have that, that idea of we're going to starve ourselves for the couple of days leading up to Thanksgiving so that we can eat whatever we want over Thanksgiving or we refuse to play those games. So we decide to eat normally and then swear we're not going to overeat. And then we go to our favorite Christmas party and we super overeat. And then we feel guilty for overeating. And then we start um, only eating carrots and mineral water or going to the gym five times a day or something that's not even as much about um, 
being healthy as it is about self-flagellation. So there's that, that loop that we can get stuck in of indulgence and guilt and earning it and not deserving it and being bad that, that I feel and, and that I see in my dancers. And I'm, I'm sure you must see that in your practice as well. Right. The idea of, of I ate, I, I'm bad because I ate bad or I didn't follow the diet or I wasn't perfect and anything shy of perfect is bad. And therefore- right. I must self-flagellation and compensation. I've got to compensate for all these things and and turn the pendulum went you know went here and now I've got to come all the way back here. Not only I think people take this in two respects. One, physiologically, they think, oh well, if I ate, uh, you know, holidays. I think we associate a lot of times with sweets and, you know, favorite goodies that only come out that time of year. Oh, wait, so many of those things that now I need to, I stocked up there and now I've got to come over here and do everything the opposite. And that's how I'm going to heal myself physically. But also there's the perception that you touched on Jennifer is like, I'm somehow fell off as a person and I need to correct my behavior by compensating with being rigid and disciplined because I was, I was undisciplined. If I ate this, now I must be very disciplined to, mm-hmm. to come to back pay for it mm-hmm. pay for it, and I have to pay. And, and I was naughty. And so now I need to be good and good is, and good we too often associate with restrictive. And I think in the, you know, I come from a ballet background and and we see this idea of people who are good, or even we see this in ballet, they're, they tend to be um, good is in terms of personality. Um, it, it is, it's related to discipline or perceived discipline. And if people who manage to keep their body frame at a very thin by their behaviors, like their eating behaviors and can be ultra thin, oh, they're so good. Or, oh, you must be so good. Look at the way you eat because the way I eat doesn't make me good or bad. It really doesn't. And it doesn't make you good or bad. And restricting and narrowing down to this absolute nothingness of what you choose to eat, which sometimes happens. It's the carrot stick, celery. I'm only gonna, I'm gonna go on a, a juice cleanse, a fast, a challenge to compensate or make up and redeem myself. That's just not the way it works. And it creates these, these cycles. And the cycles sometimes include binging and restricting sometimes they include depression um, because there's there's a win and a fail and depending on what we're using to mark our wins and our failures if those wins and failures include extrinsic numbers that come from the scale that come from a fitbit that come from numbers because our body doesn't produce numbers like you don't have a device here that tells you a number so if it comes from an extrinsic that's telling you those are the things that are telling you you're good or bad if, if you buy into this, this mindset, which so many of us do. And it's not just the dance world, for sure. Um, we see it all over and social media absolutely elevates it. Absolutely. Well, and even going beyond um, holidays, um, do you think that winter itself can be some sort of a trigger? Oh, great point. Absolutely. You know, I think something that's really important for people to recognize is I talk about, you heard my bio, your, what's your environment? Where do you live in the world? So right now we live in the Northern hemisphere. And if you live in the Northern hemisphere, anywhere North of say LA or Atlanta, or figure out where you are in between if you live in the middle of the US, but you know, using these markers, you're going to see seasonal changes where we have less daylight. There are a lot of jokes going on where, you know, oh, it's midnight, but I looked at the clock and it's only 6 p.m. because we have so much dark. The sun is less. Our bodies physiologically respond to certain qualities of light. We don't get those qualities of light in the winter when the sun's zenith is different. So one, how the light hits our eyes is different. Two, how much sun exposure we get to get outside in the sun and what that does to our mood is different. Three, even if you are outside and can expose your skin for 15 minutes a day, a reasonable sun exposure, you're not going to get enough to promote production of vitamin D. If you have any kind of health condition that precludes you from making enough vitamin D, you may need to come in and supplement that. I think something that um, we also tend to be inside more during the winter. It's just 
really hard for a lot of people to get outside. If you live someplace where you're snowbound, um, you know, you, you may be stuck or you may just feel like being cozy. We as human beings like the cave, we like to snuggle up, you know, being in front of the fire, hearth and home. These are parts of our tradition and they feel good. And if we look at humans, you know, if we look at where we've come from in the not so distant past, you know, even the beginning of the 19th century where we didn't have electricity, right? So let's look where most homes weren't lit and what you had was a fire and you had the sun and we worked on the, we worked by the sun. So in the winter, people tended to stay inside more. They didn't have, you know, heat measures. They worked by the sun. If you, you may have a flame to work by to read, but the amount of time you slept was much increased because there weren't a, you didn't have light to stay by. And so I think when we look at our bodies in terms of cycling, we, we, we have cycles of rest and repair. We wake up in the morning, our cortisol levels respond to this too. Our cortisol levels are high. We should have high energy. They taper during the day. Our melatonin goes up and it's time to sleep. If we live in some place, if you live someplace where, where your ancestors came from someplace where they have seasonal differences, where you have four distinct seasons, then that winter season is a time when we rest. We are kind of developed to rest and recover. During the spring and summer, you're sowing and reaping and prepping the soil and doing all the things and you've got lots of sun to do all the work. And then in the fall, we reap what we've sown and in the winter we rest and get ready to repeat that cycle. So even looking at how you feel and what you feel like doing, you may not feel like doing stuff. That could be biologic. And recognizing that your body may be different over different seasons and that's okay. Your body may not look or feel the way it does in summer, in the winter for reasons beyond your workout because we do respond to sun. We do respond to being outside. Those are physiologic drivers. That's super interesting. And that's okay for a person's body to feel differently. That's the big message there is that we shouldn't be judging ourselves harshly because of that. Exactly. And yeah. And if you're deciding that, well, I've put on weight and now my next best step is to start drastically pulling out calories in January, because, you know, as soon as the Christmas lights and the Christmas tree, you know, as soon as those are put away, it, it, you know, I think it's interesting because we look at this, it's like, oh, the holidays, it's a time of abundance, right? The holidays are about, we have abundant food. The decorating can be lavish. Maybe, maybe not. We give gifts. We're in a giving spirit. There's a gift. It's about giving and abundance. And then we come to January and it's like someone after January one, it's like someone shut off all those twinkle lights and we go into the dark days of winter and it's stark and austere, you know, we're in the dark, long, dark days of winter. Eh, the days are starting to get longer, but it still feels dark. It's cold. We don't have the things to look forward to. And we move into a scarcity mentality. The gifts are done. The bills have arrived. The weight's been put on or the cookies are put away or I need to flagellate for whatever missteps I took, the cocoa, the, you know, whatever I did to um, enjoy my life during those times. And now there's this tendency to undo it, right? We want to undo, which is ridiculous. We can't undo anything. We can move ahead and develop and grow, but we never, we don't undo. And so in the dance world, I find this problematic because for a lot of dancers, it's like the audition season. Um, young dancers may be auditioning for summer intensives. And so if they're concerned and they think, oh, I want to look this year, it's look good in the video. Do I need to, I want, I want, I, oh, I need to lose weight for that. And that can become very problematic because when we lose weight, when people lose weight, they're at increased risk for stress fractures. We mentioned not being outside or maybe not getting enough vitamin D on a micronutrient level, that can increase your risk for stress fractures. If maybe you haven't been eating your in the usual way um, because it was the holidays and now you're just moving back to your usual pattern of eating, maybe, you have enough, maybe you've got a little bit of a nutrient deficiency that you need to catch up with 
that leaves you at risk and starting to restrict yourself more might move you in the wrong direction. That, that makes sense. And that's a perfect tie-in to the next topic that I wanted to cover, which is um, body image issues, which we know are more common in the performing arts as compared to the general public. And people with hypermobility are statistically more likely to have anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, and other things of that nature, um, which can make disordered eating even more likely in this population. So how do you deal with that emotional component that often comes with addressing fueling choices? Yeah, you know, we always look at N equals one, whether it's a physiologic issue. So by that, I mean what's going on in your body or if it's a psychologic or emotional issue, which they all happen to go on in your body. <laughs> but those are, sometimes we can get some additional help from um, counselors and therapists there. But we wanna look at what is the issue. And so when people come to me, a lot of times they, um, by the time they come to me, they're tying a knot in the end of their rope and there's another problem that's brought them to me. Um, and it's usually a health concern that any sort of disordered eating might've precipitated. So it's really important to recognize that eating disorders are coping mechanisms for a lot of people. They have served a purpose and they've served any number of purposes. Those purposes are different for each purpose or for each person. But they, they have been a really important part of their lives. And so we don't just dismantle them, but what we need to look at is say, what, are, what purpose is this serving? And when we look at the fact of where you're at now in terms of how, how is this impacting your physiology? How's your body responding to what you're doing and what the eating disorder is doing or the disordered eating? And what steps can we take to... What do you feel comfortable with? What can we address first? Is it is it a behavior? Is it introducing a food? Is it a specific nutrient? And we really start with what, what that person feels comfortable with. What is their first step? And it's going to be different for every person. What, what one person is like, eh, yeah, that's fine with, may induce anxiety, fear, and a panic attack in a different person. So um, you know, pizza might be, I can, I can never go there for one person and their greatest accomplishment over the year might be that they ate pizza. This happens, but that's not where we start. Maybe, maybe it's, well, are you getting enough food? You know, our end goal isn't necessarily that, but maybe it's like, well, how are you recovering from an injury? That's a really common one. Like they come to me because they have an injury they can't recover from. Well, let's look at the injury. And if we look at this, your body needs this to recover can we start with this first supplement? Maybe can we start with this first food? Can we take a bite and we grow into it? And the greatest motivator is success. Motivation doesn't come from a spark. Motivation comes from success. And that's where these baby steps come in and psychologically. So if the psychology is, um, you know, they're feeling OCD, anxiety, depression, are you, is, has your diet kept you, has it created a nutrient deficiency that's keeping you from feeling good? And can we give you nutrients to help you create those neurotransmitters and biochemicals that help you to feel good? And then that's going to drive the process to keep moving forward. So it really depends. Sometimes it's a behavior. Sometimes it's something that we bring in um, nutrition wise, but it's always, it always depends on the person and we go from there. Well, and you've said before that um, disordered eating is um, often a source of solace or of control for a person and that um, it is a tool that people use to get an end result, um, whether they're using it knowingly or unknowingly, but that it um, usually ends up breaking them, but also at the same time defines them. So I imagine it's incredibly difficult to untangle the emotional from the physical when people are trying to say, yes, eating this food would make my depression better, but it would make my anxiety through the roof because that's one of my you know, forbidden foods that I've told myself I'm not allowed to eat. Um, so it has to be a really complicated thing to try to unravel. And so I love what you're saying about baby steps. Um, and can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on ways that people can kind of see those baby steps and try to separate the emotional from the physical. Would that something we work on together? So different sometimes, and sometimes it feels like in this work, 
the, have you ever seen sometimes that like the Imaginarium stores are these big balls and they have all these different pieces and the goal is to bring it back to a little ball where all the pieces fit together. That's what we do. If you push too hard from one side, it becomes disfigured. If you too push too hard from the other side, it becomes disfigured. So really we may look and say, um, for example, if, if there's a physiologic reason why someone has anxiety, we might start with something as simple as let's try getting some magnesium on board. If eating those foods is too scary, we might try a supplement. We might try an Epsom salt bath. That might be, it might not be something that's not even ingesting anything to just take those first steps. Sometimes we, the baby steps can be the babiest of things. Sometimes it's, um, what if you go to the store and look at that food and, you know, just go see where it sits in the grocery store. And that's it. Just some exposure ideas to break down fear. Fear is very powerful and it's not, it's usually not rational, but it's a significant driver. And so what we really want to, it's, it's important that each person's fear or insecurity is validated. And what seems obvious, there's no obvious. I really, you know, that's, that's a term I would love to get rid of. Oh, it's so obvious. No, actually it's not, <laughs> or maybe it is for you and that's great. But if it's not for this person or they're obvious, they may have some other obvious things that get in their way. And so sometimes we need to remove some barriers and some, some false information that they're operating on that's getting in the way. So it's seeing what are the barriers? Is it false information? Is it misconceptions? Is it any number of things? It's, it's, it's complicated. It's really complicated. The human body is so complicated. And as you're talking, you're, you're making me think about the things that I've been reading lately, which are really saying we really should not be looking at disorders as being either psychological or physical, but that most disorders involve aspects of both. And that, you know, the idea of the mind-body connection is that they are absolutely connected and through the gut, right? So it's um, nutrition to me at the end of the day shouldn't be the last thing, as you're saying, the last knot on the rope. It should be at the very, very top. It should be the, like the first thing, not the last thing. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's not uncommon for me to have patients come in, teenagers, very commonly with, um, they have anti-anxiolytics or antidepressants that have been prescribed to them. And so these are these are kids. And, and I'll say, well, you know, what, why are you, do you know why you're taking this? Or did they, you know, why, did, why were you given this medication? And they're like, well, I have a serotonin deficiency. Well, there are no drugs that are going to be more serotonin. The way you get more serotonin is to build it up. Your body makes it. It doesn't, the drugs they give you just help you to recycle it. And so when we come in and say, well, we can shift some things and we come up, try to come up with some safe ways or feel, and by what I mean by safe is obviously physiologically safe, but things that feel safe to the person. Hey, what if we tried bringing this in that's going to help you make more of that? How would that feel? That feels pretty good. And it does feel pretty good. And then we also tend to see mood elevation. Gut issues are huge. I see that all the time. And I sometimes see that with dancers who come to me and their primary concern is they may have it may be weight, but usually it's oftentimes it's bloat. And if it's like, this is me relaxed and they look several months pregnant and the rest of their body is, you know, <laughs> they're a classically trained ballerina. Um, you know, do, are there some gut issues that we can work with dealing or do we want to, do we want to strategically pull some foods out, put some foods in, pull some foods out temporarily, work them back in, see how that impacts your gut bacteria. Do you, maybe you do need some medical intervention to help get on top of that. Are you, you know, if you have some gut things, sometimes that's definitely a bendy body issue. I mean, you know, that's sometimes I see people and I think, I think you need to, you need to, with all your symptoms, I think you might need to talk to Dr. Linda and, and, and see those things. Absolutely. You know, losing weight is such a, especially with people who have anxiety or dancers or whatever, such a hot topic and can be such a, an emotionally laden topic. But if people come to you specifically and say, can you help me set up a diet to lose weight? Like, how do you address that? Yeah. I am not a weight loss dietitian. I don't do one and done meal plans for people like I, and I get that fairly. Hey, could you just give me a meal plan? Cause I want to lose weight. 
I don't do that. Um, because first of all, I want to see, let's, one, I ask, why do you want to lose weight? What, what's, why do you want to lose weight? And usually when people want to lose weight, what they really want to lose is fat. Um, and so what's behind that? So we want to find out what that's about. Um, and number two, let's look at everything that's going on with you physiologically and see if maybe there's an underlying cause to what's going on and let's look at how you feel. So if someone's main concern is they want to lose weight, maybe your maybe your weight issue is actually reflect is a symptom of an underlying medical concern. And maybe your medical concern is something that is a you have something that's going on in excess, a nutrient excess or a nutrient deficiency. And so I have a fairly um, lengthy intake intake process we go over. Um, it includes a medical history, a nutrition history a diet history, and I review that. And sometimes I can look through and say, ah, it looks like maybe this is a problem. And if we treat your body, if we give it these nutrients, maybe we're gonna give it what it needs to metabolize everything that it needs to. So for example, I had a, a young girl come to me and it was her mother who said, oh, my daughter's gained a lot of weight over since COVID started and I just want her to have some healthy eating behaviors. And that's like, that's great. Absolutely. You can talk about intuitive eating and how to nourish your body. I love it. Well, as I reviewed her intake paperwork, I know she had a significant medical history that showed that maybe if we brought in some medical nutrition therapy, that's what dietitians do. Um, we might solve some underlying problems that were causing some rashes and hiccups and she, is a singer. So that was a problem and it may or may not impact the weight too. And so we gave her a very specific diet plan to based on her needs to follow for a period of time, which in her case was just a couple of weeks. And, it, and as a result, the rash went away, the hiccups went away and she happened to lose quite a bit of weight, which wasn't necessarily fat weight, but it was her body shifting and getting rid of some excess fluid and things that she was holding on to as a result of this um, underlying medical condition. And now we're moving forward with how do we maintain without this rigid diet, which is not sustainable, but now how do we eat in ways that support your health and your well-being as you go from here and not have to deal with any of this diet nonsense and the traps of diets that too many young people get caught up in. So it sounds like you are not a calories in, calories out kind of girl. <laughs> And that you feel like there's a little more, uh, a little more work to be done than that. So how can people kind of rethink their goals um, and the way that they approach fueling to, to do it in a more healthy way? Sure. I think one of the things that I'd like to see, we've done so well um, shifting from good food, bad food. We've, we're, people are starting to make that transition and, and talking about fueling, especially in the dance world. And I'd like to take that to another level, which would be nourishing. Am I nourishing my body? And that, that creates a much broader perspective on food and nutrition as opposed to fueling, which is important, but fueling kind of guides us. It looks more at, it's, it's an energy, right? Like what we put in a car and we what we put in a car, it's fuel, it's energy. We measure it in certain ways. Just like when we look at um, fuel or energy in food, we measure it in calories. That's just an energy measurement. But it can also refer to um, get to us with macros and measuring things in grams. So rather than measuring and feeling that sense of control over numbers that we like to count and feel we have control of. When we look at nourishment, that's a, a far broader concept because we don't just eat energy, we eat food. And that food comes along with other components that we absolutely require for every function of our body. And um, whether it's healing and recovery, thinking, skin regeneration, your kidneys moving, it's all all of these processes are exceptionally complicated and they need these nutrients to work. Sometimes I like to, you know, in a very simplified kind of way of thinking, thinking about minerals, for example, you have certain enzymes in your body, but they require, they're like a car, but they require the mineral to be in the driver's seat to make them happen. So if you don't have the mineral there, the enzyme can't do its job. Now, of course, that's overly simplified, but it kind of gives it, sometimes it helps to have these little figures of, well, if I'm not getting enough of the nutrients I need, then 
the body, the things that I have going just can't work. And it goes beyond, it's beyond fat, protein, and carbohydrates. This is when we look at vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, and the constellation of things we call nutrition and nutrition and weight loss are not always the same thing. Um, they're often not the same thing, but keeping that in mind as we move forward. As you move forward. Yeah. So not looking at it just as dieting, as you've said, not trying to lose weight, but saying, what am I trying to get out of this and how can I move forward in a healthy way? So there are, there are some people who are trying to move forward in a healthy way. And it is our habit as a society to look for those. If I do this, then this will happen. So we like to have those prescribed do this, then this will be it. And we like to have that neat little, like you said, meal plans and, and that kind of thing. As we try to put those sorts of things together, are there some triggers or some habits that might at first seem harmless, um, but that can lead to compulsive choices or disordered eating? Yeah, absolutely. The number one indicator of an eating disorder or disordered eating is going on a diet. And the numbers tell us that one in four dieters will end up with an eating disorder or disordered eating at some time in your, their lives. And that number goes up for dancers and it goes up, up, up for ballet dancers. Um, the numbers are, are frightening. And so when we, anytime, when we try to quantify food, that's going to, that's usually dieting. So counting, if it's, if you're counting, typically you're dieting. So if you're counting calories, counting macros, um, counting points, these are all dieting mechanisms. And so that can be confusing because people say, well, what, well, then what am I supposed to do? How do I know what to eat? And what we really like to do is one, we need to always remember that N equals one. Every body is different. How one person responds to um, any food is going to be different than another. We could put two people on the exact same plan. One person is going to thrive. The other is going to crash. They ju it just, the body just doesn't work that way. So any kind of counting, using extrinsic devices to tell us, to, to mark our success are, is absolutely it. So whether it's the scale, um, your Fitbit, my fitness pal, calorie trackers, um, apps on your phone, they look like they're helpful tools. And a lot of these things may be used as helpful tools, but far more often they end up being dictators and voices that tell us whether we're good or we're bad. I, if I go over the number, I'm bad. If I go under the number, I'm good. And we aren't good or bad based on any of those numbers. We're not good or bad based on the food we eat. Well, okay, but you know, scales are a part of, part of life, doctors use them. So what are some um, valid reasons that you might have to weigh yourself? Absolutely. So valid times to weigh yourself is when we're looking at hydration status. So if you sweat a lot, um, we might want to see how much fluid we want to get back into. So we might have you weigh yourself before and after a workout. So we make sure you're getting enough hydration during your workouts. Um, that in a medical situation, if we were looking at water retention, that would qualify too. If you're a child and your pediatrician weighs you for growth charts to track growth, that would be appropriate. And if you need to find out if it's cheaper to get yourself to a destination UPS versus buying an airline ticket, then that works too. But otherwise there's really no purpose to have the scale. I don't, it's not a pro I don't, my, my clients are oftentimes shocked that it's, just, it's not something we mark. And even, even clients where that is one of their goals is to lose weight. They just don't feel comfortable in their bodies. And if, that, if weight loss is a goal of yours, I don't, okay, that's okay. That's fine. But, but let's, but why, why do you want to lose weight? For some people, they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel comfortable in their body. They've been doing some things up to until now that have just led them to not feel good. And when they make some changes, they're going to end up losing some weight and they're going to feel more comfortable in their body. And that's, that's fine. But I don't track weight. I don't track inches. I don't track that stuff. I don't do before and after pictures. Well, and I guarantee you that just the fact that I use the word scale sent some anxiety through some people who are listening to this right now. Um, and the thought of not stepping on the scale every day to have the scale tell you whether or not it's going to be a good day or a bad day um, is definitely running through people's heads as a, a stressful thing. 
and, and using the scale, it's so interesting because it, it dictates, but before you get on the scale, I, I suggest to people, what are you gonna do with that information? What is it gonna tell you? And just like you said, is it gonna determine if you're having a good day or a bad day? And the interesting thing is, is so for some people, if they get on the scale and the number is what they like, they're going to eat differently. Some people are like, woohoo, I'm under, I can do whatever I want. So this idea of versus, well, what if you're, what if you just like ate in a way that took care of your body and nourished you <laughs> and didn't have the scale tell you, oh, today's a cookie day. No, today's a self-flagellation day, juice fast, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and talking about juice fasts and, and things like that, it's, it's really popular right now for us to kind of look for some sort of a, a quick label to slap on our food choices. Um, we always enjoy being part of a tribe and finding something to, number one, identify with, and number two, um, have other people tell us what to do in a very easy, if you do this, then this will happen. So we talk about going vegan or vegetarian or paleo and finding some sort of all-encompassing title that will just make the choices for us. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and those labels that are popular right now and sort of the, the strengths and the, the vulnerabilities that can come with kind of painting your whole diet with such a broad brush? Absolutely. I think one of the things is labels tend to box us in. And so when you decide I'm going to, even if, the, even if your self-language is, oh, I'm going to try this or that diet, it very, very rapidly becomes, oh, I am this or that diet. I am vegan. I am keto. I am paleo. And that can be really damaging because it becomes restrictive. And if a person says I'm, even if they say, oh, I'm following a vegan lifestyle or whatever, the people around them may also inadvertently overly support these choices so that when we restrict, we, this restrictive mentality means we're pulling things out. And if it becomes your identity, then there's an expectation and we may have that expectation for ourselves, but it may also be what's the expectation others have of me. And I need to fulfill that whether I want to or not, whether I even like this anymore or not, this is what people expect. So for vegan, it may be they go someplace and people trying to be generous and supportive might say, oh, we can't have this because Jane's vegan. So she can't eat that. So we can't have it, or we're going to make her this food. And so Jane shows up and maybe she would have been happy to have whatever everyone else was eating because she's exploring plant-based, but now she has to eat the pasta marinara, which she may or may not want while everyone else eats the other things because she's the vegan. And it may, and some of these, um, some of these diets and labels come with other, um, other expectations or connotations. So if you're whole 30, you're this kind of person. If you're vegan, you're this kind of person. If you're keto, you're this kind of person. And these are your people and you do these kinds of things, which is ridiculous, but it's true. It's what we do when we label anyone and it's restrictive. If I label you a liberal or a conservative, now people have an identity. Uh, they're going to think about, well, she must do this. She must shop at the store. She likes these people. She supports these causes based on some simple red, blue, black, white, conservative, liberal, vegan, paleo, you know? And so we don't, <laughs> avoiding these black and whites can be, yeah, getting into them is restrictive. Do you feel like social media has made that even more so because maybe we're sharing certain things or it tends to kind of be a divider where, you know, which side of this are you on? Like Jen said, I totally agree about finding the tribe and social media makes it kind of easier to find that tribe. Absolutely. And then people are going to, and and it feeds into that. And And we have this perception that more people are doing what we think it is than the reality. That is a, that's a common psychological problem. Oh, everyone's doing that. No, they're not. And they're not doing it to the degree that you think they are. It, right. We see that we see that with college kids. So they may think, oh, everyone's drinking, everyone's doing these things. And but the statistics will tell us otherwise. But they may base their choices on what they perceive everyone else at tribe they want to be in is doing. Oh, everyone is doing these things and now so must I, or I, I want to, I want to be like that, or I want to be, I want to do what everyone else is doing, or I want to be current or relevant. And this is what that looks like. Well, and you see dancers, um, 
you know, Instagram influencers who say, Hey, I just ate this really amazing power bowl before dance class and look what happened. And then you see the clip of them doing eight pirouettes. And so all these dancers that follow them say, Oh, I need to start eating that power bowl before dance class, not stopping to think, are the choices in that power bowl right for me? Or is it something that I should be doing or, or not be doing? And finding that, that sort of middle ground is the tricky part. I wanted to come back though, to you were talking about the veganism and, and vegetarianism and sort of all those different labels as a tribe. What if people are doing it for a different reason? What if there's moral or ethical considerations there? Um, and specifically for our population, are there issues that people should be worried about with going with those types of choices? Sure. Well, I think something, there's been a lot in the media recently about plant-based and plant-based. So if we're talking about veganism. It's definitely plant-based, but plant-based has no definition. So if you hear in a documentary or from an influencer that they're plant-based, that doesn't necessarily mean they're vegan or that the health benefits of being plant-based translate to being vegan. So if you are following a vegan diet because of moral, ethical, ecological reasons, that's absolutely fine. Just make sure in terms of how your body is responding to what you're doing, that it actually suits you and is right for you and your body. It's not for everyone. When we look at a bendy body community or dancers or most people, they actually don't benefit from a vegan diet. Plant-based meaning eating a lot of plant foods or most of your foods from plants, yes. But when we remove animal-based foods, we remove a lot of nutrients and our bodies simply absorb nutrients more easily and more readily from certain animal foods. It's just, we see it with whey in terms of recovery. We see it with certain minerals like zinc and iron when we get them from plant-based or from animal-based foods as opposed to plant-based foods. And when people remove animal foods, they also remove different um, components that we are now finding in the literature to be super helpful in terms of recovery and gut health, including gelatin and collagen, which are only animal-based foods. And so if you're removing those, you may be, I don't know, for some people, they're going to be okay. For other people, they are instrumental in their health and well-being. And I've seen a lot of success with people who incorporate these foods into their programs, especially with recovery, especially with connective tissue issues. Really? This is so fascinating because I, I normally use the word pescatarian. I eat fish. And as someone myself who has a bendy body, I have often wondered about not being pescatarian anymore or eating meat, but I overly identify exactly as you said, and everyone else around me identifies. And, and so it has become a huge part of who I am in a way, which it doesn't necessarily serve me like I, I think it does. Are there certain foods that you recommend if someone is going to try adding meat back into their diet though? Because if you've gone a really long time without eating any meat besides fish, are there certain things that you recommend that they start with? Or if you're eating fish, is that often meeting that need? Do you have any thoughts about that? Oh yeah, it, it can meet the need, especially if you're eating the skin and as often as possible getting fish bones like from canned fish. Um, eggs, if you're not eating eggs, I think eggs can be fantastic, especially with the choline and how that can help support the brain. And they may be a source, um, depending on your eggs, you're going to get some degree of omega-3 fatty acids from them. I think having a bit of, of red meat can be really helpful for certain people. You know, everyone's different, but if you're looking at iron levels, especially having just even a little bit once a week, once a month, just a little bit can be helpful. Making sure you're, the kind of meat you're eating matters. Is it is it sourced well? Is it humanely raised? Not I'm not talking about getting a bunch of crap and you know eating overly processed stuff. But for some people, they may find if they try a little bit and add a little bit in that they feel better. And for people, you know, it brings up this idea of clean eating, right? Okay. Clean doesn't have a definition. We look at the holidays of being times of abundance and, you know, we lavish. Maybe we have foods we don't necessarily enjoy the rest of the year, special holiday traditions. As people, we might let all the stops out. We spend more money on food and celebrating and entertaining and baby booze, who knows, but we really do. These are times our families come together. We have oftentimes religious 
affiliations and all these celebrations. And so it's about abundance and gift giving and we give with food and we celebrate with food and we eat our grandma's recipes because those were made with love and that's food. And we live in this gingerbread house of food and celebration and abundance. January 2nd hits and we go to the gym and it's stark and we beat ourselves up to hit ourselves hard. And for people who want to be clean and eat clean, which means any number of things, you know, it really, it's every definition is going to be different. Does that mean you eat a minimally processed food? Does that mean you're vegan? Does it mean you're raw? Does it mean you're gluten-free? You know, whatever it means to whoever, that's what clean is. And so now we're going to be clean. We're going to get all the decorations put away. We're going to move all that crap out. We bought all this stuff. Now we hate the stuff. You know, now we're going to, we're going to organize the house. We're going to go real simple. We're going to home edit. We're going to Marie Kondo after we've just done all this stuff. Rubbermaid containers are going to be on sale. You know, everyone's going to do that. And, and it's a bit extreme and we're, we want to, it's like, we want to undo what we just did. Why? Why? That's not, we don't need to undo what we just did. We may want to move forward. And well, now we've had all these things and now I recognize maybe I don't feel as good. Do, are there some things I need to change? Do I need to bring something more in? Do I maybe need to let something go? Is it this is a time of year when I've enjoyed things and now I'm going to enjoy um, reconnecting with other foods and training methods, but not trying to undo like, or say that was bad or naughty. No, it wasn't. You were on the nice list on December 25th. You're still on the nice list now. It doesn't matter what you ate. It's, it's okay. So you're saying we shouldn't try to undo what we've done. We should just try to move forward. Move forward and see, and you're undoing. Here's the thing. You may, what, what is it you're undoing? It really depends. If it's about, oh, I overate. So I felt uncomfortable, right? I, ate these foods that kind of make me feel like crap in the long run. Well, maybe you need to pull off on those foods. And maybe generally speaking, you do, you know, I use these bentos in my practice a lot. And something that I have in my bentos is a hold space. Sometimes the holidays become the bento where it's all hold space items. Hold space are usually fun things that we celebrate. So maybe your bento has been out of the six slots, five fun items and one leaf of lettuce. And maybe you're like, that was fun, but it doesn't make me feel good. And so now I'm going to go back to what makes me feel good physically, mentally, because what we put in our body impacts our mental health as well. And maybe I want to work back to that. And maybe I need some help knowing what that is. Maybe you don't know what that is. That's a problem. Just because a cleanse, a challenge, a diet says it'll help you lose weight does not mean it will help you feel good. It doesn't necessarily even mean it will help you lose weight. It May help some people lose weight. It may help some people feel good. It may not work or be appropriate for you. And if it's not something that you can maintain essentially for the rest of your life, they're going to be shifts. Our bodies shift and change over the course of a day, a season, as we grow, as we mature during different, you know, but what you needed when you were a professional dancer is probably a bit different than what you need when you're not a professional dancer. And so we, we can make, but we, but we make micro adjustments as opposed to flip-flopping, right? And that's, I would like to see more of a transition mentality as opposed to, well, now I've got to really beat the hell out of myself because, you know, December. Right. So it's not either living in the gingerbread house or living at the gym. There's finding some sort of happy medium that we can kind of live in a sustainable way and enjoy what we're doing and also make healthier choices moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone's healthy is going to be different. Healthy, it's such a vague word, right? What's healthy for one person is not going to be healthy for another. Sometimes the dose is in the poison. What may be great for one person in large amounts may knock someone else way off the edge. If you, if you need help sorting those things out, you know, that's okay. Maybe you need to find out. Maybe, maybe eating lots and lots of veggies makes you bloated because you have an underlying health condition that we need to give you certain fruits and veggies and, and get rid of the bloat. Because when you eat that diet or when you go on the juice cleanse, you end up with blood sugar spikes and falling off. You know, it's, there's lots of stuff. And there are lots of reasons why these things may on paper look good, but in practice, not so much. 
Right. Well, you have given us so many great little bites to kind of chew on when we talk about baby steps and the importance of baby steps to really look at why we're doing something, why we're really trying to make changes, um, the importance of speaking with a professional that can help us look at the way we fuel and even looking at the, the difference between fueling and nourishing. Um, and I think these are all things we can all kind of take with us. If people are trying to look for someone, um, how can they find you? They can find me on my website, www.eatwellpros.com or on Instagram, which is my name, Kristen underscore Koskinen underscore RDN. Same with Facebook, or you can shoot me an email at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N at eatwellpros.com. Excellent. Thank you. And we will have that information as well in the notes for the show, for the podcast. So you can find her there as well. Well, you have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD as we chat with registered dietitian nutritionist, Kristen Koskinen. Kristen, thank you so much for coming back to chat with us again. We always learn so much from you and really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Bendy Bodies YouTube channel as well. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. Visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders, just by sharing what you love about the Bendy Bodies podcast. On Instagram, tag us at bendy underscore bodies and on Facebook at Bendy Bodies Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast is intended for general education only and does not constitute medical advice. Your own individual situation may vary. Do not make any changes without first seeking your own individual care from your physician. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.